welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. everyone. Welcome to Awaken. We're so glad you found your way here. My name is Mandy, and I am the writer of our kids' curriculum that we use downstairs uh, throughout the school year. Yeah, I feel so privileged to get to do that after my past role here. And um, it kind of led me this week into what I chose for our call to worship. I reflected on the scripture that we're going to be hearing up here, as well as the lesson that I got to write for the kids. And they are both reminding us of our humanity and our desire to do good. I came across this writing from theologian and civil rights leader Howard Thurman in the book Meditations of the Heart. In Thurman's writing and legacy, he left us with the understanding that spiritual contemplation must be the foundation in which action is based. Our kids today are learning about Mary and Martha downstairs today, and that story can be told in a lot of different ways, but our kids are going to be learning that Jesus invites us to listen. He invites us to sit at his feet and listen, and Jesus also welcomes us to do. Jesus welcomes both. He wants us to listen, and he wants to take that, take, have us take what we're hearing and to go and do. And Mary and Martha are both serving him in their own ways. This is a reminder for all of us that we can be still and listen, and then we can take our courage and go and do what we are to do. Please join me as we center ourselves in this call to worship. To see and to do. I seek courage to see the true thing. It is a fearful admission that courage is required to see the true thing. So much of my vision is blurred by my fears, my anxieties, my narrow self-interest, that I find difficulty sometimes in giving full range to a searching scrutiny. It may be that I suspect the effect on me of seeing things in their true light. Waiting in the quiet experience of worship, I seek the courage, the push of God, to see the true thing in everything with which I am involved. I seek courage to do the true thing. I see the true thing is not necessarily to do the true thing. It may be that it takes a heightened form of courage to do the true thing. The act carries with its own commitment. The act of a person finally involves the person, and he is required at last to back his deed. Therefore, to do the true thing places a searching liability on the integrity of the person who does the deed. We want always to escape the full liability for the deed. The truer the deed, the more the responsibility involves all of a man's life. I seek courage to do the true thing that my own life may not be double talk. Here, in the quietness of worshipful waiting, I seek courage to do the true thing. I seek courage to see and to do the true thing. A um, couple of other announcements. Mondays with Micah tomorrow at Day by Day Cafe on West 7th will happen at 7 a.m. So if you, uh, for the men of Awaken, host that breakfast there. Love to see you. Prom is next, this coming Friday night, friends. So very excited. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. We're getting outfits and uh, cocktail menus and all kinds of things. The dance floor will be delivered. Uh, the, ba the basement will be transformed into a speakeasy. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, if you haven't got your tickets, you can still get those online. And that's a 7 p.m. start time. Next Sunday night and the following Sunday, the 3rd and the 10th, Jim Bear Jacobs is going to be back with us, so you can sign up for those learning labs. Uh, they are two different seminars, um, and they will happen next week, 6 to 8, and the following week, so you can sign up for that if you're interested. 
Um, we're also hosting a spiritual formation retreat. So if you all remember the, tran- the formational targets that we did in the fall, uh, listening is one of them. And uh, uh, this is a, an intentional, and pilgrimage being another one, um, this sort of combines those two things. And so if you're interested in like a, a direct investment in your spiritual growth and your formation as a person who follows Jesus, uh, this is a great opportunity for that. It's just down at Mount Olivet in like Northfield, Lakeville area. Um, and details are online. Registration is open for that. So you can find information on the internet. That's April 5 to 7. Um, and then last but not least, Easter and the, uh, the Easter holiday. So Good Friday will be here at 7 p.m. for Good Friday gathering. And then Easter 9, 10, 30, noon. Sound good? Let's rock and roll. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is the second Sunday of Lent. Lent, if you are not aware, is the 40 days before Easter. It begins on Ash Wednesday, and it is a season of preparation. Uh, It's a season of intentional preparing ourselves and our hearts and our lives for this event that we call death and resurrection, also known as Easter. Um, My working definition, I offered this last week, just so we have a sense of kind of what do I mean when I say Lent and what is this season, is an intentional journey that usually often includes stripping away, abstention from at times, uh, and focus for the purpose of seeing, hearing, and waking up to the work of God's Spirit. So this is like specific intention and action so that we can be aware and open and awake to the work of God's Spirit. It often is a surrendering of what needs to die so that something else might be born. Um, In this series, we're focusing on listening, really leaning into what does it mean to be listeners, to be hearers, to have our eyes and our ears open and our hearts soft to the work and the voice, the sound of God in our midst. Um, As a a church, this is appropriate. Uh, Many of you know our lease is not being renewed, and so we're in this season of discernment. Um, uh, A year from now, next March, we will need to find a new home, have found a new home. And so we're kind of leaning in, in Lent, uh, together. That's at least an invitation. So last week we looked at Jonah, uh, which is more of a study of not listening than listening. But this week we're turning our attention to David. And uh, one of the greatest kings of Israel. We're going to enter this part of his story. Um, so just a little setup for what you're about to hear in chapter 12. Chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Samuel go together. And in chapter 11, we learn some things about, about David. He is the second king of Israel's history. Uh, the first three were the United Kingdom, and then after that, the kingdom of, of Israel splits into two. David is king number two. His father was Saul. Uh, nope, not his father. Uh, the first king of Israel was Saul, and then the third king of Israel is Solomon. So he sits right in between there. David is a young king. He is a poet. He is a writer. Uh, he is sort of renowned for his military prowess and his warrior status. Right? He is, in fact, after all, the one who kills Goliath. Um, And he's studied by many, so he's a well-respected, he's one of Israel's best kings, if you've ever read the book of Kings. There are a lot of really bad ones, David is one of the good ones. Uh, But in this story, we're right in the middle of his greatest public failure. And in chapter 11, um, we find that Israel is off at war, and David is up on his his patio, his uh, veranda, overlooking the city one night, and sees a beautiful woman who is bathing. Um, Lots of questions about the architecture of the ancient world. (laughs) Either way, he's overlooking and sees a woman who's bathing and he fancies her. Her name is Bathsheba. And so he sends for her because he's the king after all. 
Bathsheba makes her way to the king, and David uh, sleeps with her. Uh, Was this consensual? We don't know. Was it rape? We don't know. Could it have been either one of those? Yes. Was it likely one or more than the other? Probably. Either way, he sleeps with her, and uh, it comes, comes to find out a few weeks later that she's pregnant. David calls the commander of his army, who is away, and calls for Uriah the Hittite, who is the husband of Bathsheba. Bring Uriah home. Let's give him a little break from the field, right? And, of course, the strategy here is Uriah will come home. He will sleep with his wife. He will think that it's his child. All will be well. Uh, Uriah has a little more character and integrity than David, uh, David anticipates. And he says, if my men can't sleep with their wives, I can't sleep with mine. And so he sleeps outside of her door, outside of the bedroom, outside of the house. Uh, and foils David's plan to cover up his mess. So David doubles down on the plan and sends by Uriah, the Hittite, the word back to the commander of the army, Uriah's own death wish, right? So he sends word back to the commander, send Uriah to the front lines and have his men retreat at a critical moment and Uriah will fall to the sword. Um, And so that's exactly what happens. He goes out, he carries his own death warrant back to the commander, sends him out to battle, troops come back, Uriah dies. Well, Uriah is murdered by David. And... um, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife, one of many wives, and that's the recap of chapter 11. Everybody up to speed? Great. He's a great guy. A a man after the Lord's own heart, they say, this David. So, Christy, if you would come, we'll uh, we'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I would invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of God's word, and then we'll dive in. The Lord said to Nathan to David when he came to him, he said, there were, two, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. He grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to, to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that had belonged to the poor man for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord said. The God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's lives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and all of this had been too little. I've been giving you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your own eyes, I will take your wives and bring them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because you are doing this, oh, you are not going to die. Chapter, verse 13 was the end. There we are. <laughs> uh, pray with me if you would.
God, we gather this morning and we do so with um, some semblance of an intention to hear from you, to experience you, to be near you, to be with one another. And so I pray that um, as we gather, your spirit would be present to us, that we would have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, um, hearts that are soft enough to respond to you, and the courage uh, to take steps towards you, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit, church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. What a great story, huh? <laughs> I mean, this is literally like Days of Our Lives or, you know, Game of Thrones. Uh, the Bible is not boring, that's for sure. Um, and I also love the, the, the sort of taunt of verse 12. You did it in secret. I'll do this in broad daylight. <laughs> that's the Lord speaking, by the way. Uh, okay, lots to do here. Here's what I'd love to do um, th this morning. I would love to begin with some literary considerations. It's, this is quite a story, chapter 11 and chapter 12. They go together, as I said. And the way the narrator has put it together is, is pretty lovely. I just want to point out a couple of things uh, because I think that's part of studying the scriptures together. Uh, I'd then love to turn to an op just an observation about power, right? Because in a lot of ways, this is a story about power. Uh, the king of Israel and his interaction with the people who are underneath him. And then I want to close with uh, a question and some of my thoughts and observations as your pastor, as one of the spiritual leaders here at Awaken. So let's start with the literary considerations. And um, there are two words that become important in this story, especially in chapters 11 and 12, and it's the word take and the word lie. Uh, in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, so if you go back to 1 Samuel, in chapter 8, uh, there is a man named Samuel. He's kind of like the, the spiritual overseer, the spiritual leader of Israel, and the people are asking him for a king. And Samuel is responding to them and reminding them of what the Lord says, and that is, like, you don't want a king. Like, Trust me on this one, you don't want a king. Here's what will happen. And Samuel goes on to tell them the things that will happen if they get a king in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 to 18. And the word that is used the most in that passage is the word take. In Hebrew, it's lacha. It says, this is what the Lord, the king will do. He will take your sons and make them warriors in front of your chariots. He will take your daughters and make them do labor. He will take the best of your fields and take your vineyards. He will take a tenth of your grain. He will take a tenth of your flocks. In chapter 11 of, Samuel, of 2 Samuel, the same word that is used in 1 Samuel about what the king will do, you know, that Samuel's warning them, is the same word that David, uh, or is used that David does to Bathsheba. It says that David takes Bathsheba for his own, which is exactly what God says the kings will do. Um, he it then says David will, uh, he, he lachaz another man's wife, and then he lays with her and kills her husband. So take and lay. Uh, the word in Hebrew is sakab. In chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes and tells the parable, and these words come back up. He says, there's a poor man who has a you, one cute you little lamb, right? He cherishes, he, he nurtures it, he feeds it, he pets it, he grooms it, you know. D dumb and dumber? No? Okay. Got it. And he even allows the little lamb to lay in his bosom. Same word, Right? So you can see the narrator playing with these two words of lie and take. The, the you little lamb lays in his bosom, and the rich man doesn't take from his own flock, but takes the one you lamb from the poor man and kills it. So 
as a storyteller, you have these key words that are being interchanged and kind of moved around depending on who it's talking about. And it's actually quite lovely. Um, there are three characters. You know, you have Bathsheba, you have Nathan, and you have David. And they all declare something in the story. They make a declarative statement, and it's quite short and sweet. And in Hebrew, they actually all sound very similar to one another. Bathsheba says, I am pregnant. Nathan says, you are the man. And David says, I have sinned. All three say very short things. They sound very similar in Hebrew. So if you were listening to this in the original language, you would hear that. And it's beautiful. It's really, really well written. Um, I'll just pause and say, I think we want to recognize for a moment, like the weird and bizarre thing that God seems to be saying to David. I don't know if you caught that, but he says like, God's talking to David, and he's like, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah, and if this had been too little, I would have given you more. So then does God endorse polygamy, right? Does God endorse the taking of many wives and giving them to somebody? I want to just pause here and recognize that that's pretty weird. Uh, and to assume that that's what God is like is problematic. Can we get an amen on that? So in the Old Testament, when you're writing about an ancient, in an ancient world about God, it would make sense that you would tell about God in your own understanding of the, uh, in the culture around you. And that would have made a lot of sense in the ancient world, right? The scriptures remind us that what we know about God, we know in Jesus most fully. So in Jesus, the exact representation of God is made known to us, is, is, is manifest. Jesus is the icon of God. So we, I think we can read something like that and give Samuel, the narrator, or whoever it is, a little bit of a pass to say, we don't have to, like, one, one plus one equals two. He says this about God. That's what God is like. I would defer to Jesus and read this through the lens of Jesus, and I would go as far as to say, I don't think Jesus would have said that. Like, God's going to give you a whole bunch of wives that aren't your own because we're into polygamy, okay? That's my assumption. That's my reading of the text. But that's kind of how I would walk. I would, I would uh, wrestle with that if I came to it and thought, is God endorsing polygamy here? Just a small detail, a little, little side note, you know, almost left on the cutting room floor, but I just couldn't leave it there. I just had to give it to you, okay? So let's move to uh, an observation about power. And I, I, wanna, I would say it this way. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I had a youth pastor whose name was Phil Thompson, Phil was a huge part of my life growing up, uh, um, did a great deal of investing in me as a young man, and uh, I don't remember a lot of things my youth pastor said. In fact, I don't remember most of what my youth pastor said. So Trevor, if you're in the room, don't worry about it. Uh, I do remember this, for whatever reason, I remember him saying this, and he would say, absolute power corrupts absolutely. What do I mean by that? What did he mean by that? When someone's given or assumes absolute power, there is a very, very, very good chance that given enough time, like a cavity unaddressed, it will eat away at the integrity of the person, at the soul of the person. When we are in positions of power and absolute power, it, like, this is a very dangerous place to be. Uh, given enough time, it often leads to the downfall. It often eats away at the integrity of the character of the soul of the person who sits in that seat. So I would remind you, or I would say to you, be careful what you wish for. As leaders, as people who are, have influence in, in your life, be careful what you wish for. I remember early on, I was sitting at lunch with somebody, 
uh, in Awakens history, and they said, you know, Micah, you remind me a lot of Rob Bell. And I took that as a great compliment. Like, I think when Rob Bell was pastoring, he was one, one of the, the best communicators I've heard. And I loved listening to him. So I was like, wow, that's a, that's a, very, that's a compliment. Thank you. And then he said, and I'm surprised Awakens out like three, four times bigger than it, than it is right now. You know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. My ego loved that. You know, I was like, thank you. I, I, I kind of wonder that sometimes too. As the years have gone by, if I'm being honest with you, I'm actually quite grateful. I have watched far too many shooting stars like burn out in full view of everybody. The character and integrity that is required to bear the weight of power and influence is substantial. And I would submit to you that it does not come overnight. It is hard-earned with time and your hands to the plow. You can't fake it and you can't buy it. And I would also suggest to you that it often only comes through suffering. So be careful what you wish for. When it comes to power and influence, and this is part of the reason why it's so scary to watch young people rise to such uh, like, like uh, success, right? When you see it, when I see young pastors and like their church grows to 500, 1,000, 2,000, and they're young, I'm just like, because it's usually only a matter of time before some disaster strikes. Because that kind of power and influence is a really heavy burden to bear. And it takes incredible character and integrity. And you can't fake that. You can't buy that. You have to earn it over time. So I want to just pause as we look at this text, like a lesson in leadership and in power, like faithfulness day after day, a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson always used to say. Like, this is what faithful leadership looks like. And I pray and, and, I, and I, 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 I hope that as we are faithful, and so in a lot of ways, I'm grateful that just slowly over time, Awaken Under the Radar has just become this beautiful thing that it is. Because quite frankly, um, I, I, that's a, I, I receive that as a grace from God. That we could do this together and learn and grow and hopefully mature along the way. Uh, because absolute power corrupts absolutely. So be careful what you wish for. Um, a question Let's move to, this is a series about listening. Um, how do you become, how do you stay the kind of person who can listen even when you're wrong? How do you become the kind of person? How do you develop the kind of character and like internal fortitude to be able to stay in the moment when someone calls you out? Or calls you in would maybe be the, the most beneficial way, right? We've all been called out. That's embarrassing and that's shame-inducing. But to be called in is another, a whole other deal. How do you become the kind of person who doesn't hit eject? When that moment comes, when someone offers a word that's hard for you to hear. And, and if you look at this story, you might think to yourself, well, David's caught red-handed. What other option does he have but to say, I have sinned? 
he's the gosh darn king. Have you not watched Game of Thrones or any of these other movies? I'm watching El Chapo right now on Netflix. You know, the, the kingpin, the, the drug lord. When you have absolute power, you just eliminate or buy whatever is in your way. So David the king doesn't have to say I'm sorry. He doesn't have to say I'm wrong. He can clearly, he could just as easily have said, off with his head. And someone would have done it. And everyone would have moved on. He doesn't have to say what he said. So how do you become that kind of person? That's the question I want to sit with a little bit this morning. One observation, and this is, this is as I sort of sat with this, because... <laughs> Ironically enough, isn't this just the way it goes? I, I, I've invited some of you last week, I invited you to fast. So I fasted yesterday, Friday night to Saturday. And everybody in the Witham family knows when, when Pops gets a little uh, hungry, he usually gets a little hangry. So I'm already on, like, on a, uh, hanging on by a thread. I go grocery shopping, bad idea. I go grocery shopping, hungry, so I'm a little put out. I come home, I'm unloading the groceries, and I'm like, has anyone seen the dog? River, our cute little red lab. She's AWOL. She's gone AWOL. And I'm like, and I immediately just flip. Like, I'm like, what in the, in my, in my spirit, I am like boiling at this point. I'm like, I am grocery shopping for this family. I am starving here, and you can't watch the dog. What is wrong with you people? So I slam the door. I get in my truck. I, I literally, I peeled out of my driveway. That was a little accidental. I have a manual, so my foot kind of slipped, but it did feel good. <laughs> And then I'm driving around the neighborhood for like an hour looking for this stupid dog. And then finally, I'm just like, I don't care. I hope it gets run over by a car. So this whole thing is over. And then the people who let the dog out feel terrible about it. Newsflash, I actually am human. I get home, I, I, after giving up, I pull up the driveway and who is standing at the back door but River the canine. And I'm like, you little shit. And she knows she's in trouble, right? So I put her on place and punish her for half the day. I'm not feeding you. You've probably eaten half the garbage in the neighborhood by now. Last, and then at dinner, my wife says, you know how she got out, don't you? You moved the garbage can, which blocks the fence that you didn't complete, and she jumped over the fence. It was all me. The whole time, you guys... You are that man! <laughs> I'm just like, it's so perfect. It's so perfect that I'm preaching this today. How do you become the kind of person that doesn't say, you know what, I don't need to hear from you. Eject, eject, eject. Okay, a couple of observations <laughs> from my real life. Number one, do you have a trusted, a trusted friend who has who has earned the right, who has invested enough equity, built a bridge that will bear the weight of truth. And I recognize this might, this is easier said than done. To have friends like this, who's, who have, you have given permission to, and where there has been enough back and forth between you, where there is a bridge that has been built that will bear the weight of truth. Because truth is weighty, is it not? When you hear what's true, it often feels big. 
Is there anyone in your life that you have given that kind of permission to who has earned the right to have that kind of conversation when you're acting like an idiot can say to you, you're acting like an idiot. You're acting foolish. That is not a wise choice. You might want to take your foot off the gas here. Do you have anybody <clears throat> in your life for whom or, or with whom you can have those kinds of conversations? I think back to like early on in ministry. I had a friend named Matt Hartman. We had breakfast together every week at Sunrise Sunset in Denver. And Matt and I gave each other this kind of permission to ask really hard questions. I've told the story about when I stole all the flies from Kmart. Matt had the right to ask that question. Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Maybe. You are that man, Micah. You have to go back and make that right. Um, early in, in, as a youth pastor, Josh Sutherland and Jeff Holmberg, two guys that like we were both in, all in ministry together, and we just decided, this is hard work, leading and pastoring, and we want to like give each other permission to make sure we don't make a mess of this thing. In my life now, Rick Patton, Chad Caswell, like I have guys that I've asked and I've given permission to say what needs to be said. The Board of Awaken has that right in my life. You're welcome. <laughs> Every board at a church should have that right in their pastor's life, right? So do you have wounds? Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, right? Hard words, things that are true that maybe are hard to hear can be trusted when they come from a friend, and we need those kinds of people in our lives, right? An enemy, you know, they sort of they multiply favor and affection. It boosts you up and, you know, hey, Rob Bell, bigger church, you know, like that, okay? That, that person wasn't my enemy. Don't get me wrong. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. So do you have those kinds of people in your life? We don't know the details of Nathan and David's relationship, right? David was the king. Nathan was the prophet of God. There's a lot of things present in this story that aren't a part of our lives, but I think we can extrapolate Having people in our life who can say, you are, it's you. You got to turn around, man. Change the way you're headed. Change the direction you're going. You're off mark. So, one, do you have people like that in your life? And if not, as a pastor, I just like cannot recommend enough. Like, maybe that would be a great thing to pray for. Lord, would you give me the gift? And, and this is not a passive prayer. You're going to have to do something. You may have to ask someone. You may have to be intentional in your waiting. You might have to take some initiative in your waiting, right? It likely won't fall from the sky. So it's both. Lord, would you, would you give me that gift and do your part? That's hard work that people do who want to be mature in their faith. So, one, friends who can say the hard word. Number two, eyes up. Like, if you think about, if you back up and you're like, do we have a window into David's heart? Do we have any part in scriptures that we could look into and say, like, this is the kind of heart that David had? And the answer to that question is yes. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is written by David in direct response to this, this debacle with, with Bathsheba. So what do we find in Psalm 51 that gives us a window into the heart of somebody who made a mistake for sure? but who had some things in the right spots so that he could still be said of a man after God's own heart. David had some friends who could say the hard thing. Number two, eyes up. 
When I was a kid playing hockey, I was a little guy. Like, I didn't get to five feet till I was a sophomore in high school. No joke. So my dad would always say, Micah, eyes up, head on a swivel. If you don't want to get caught in the trolley tracks, if you don't want to get your bell rung, and I would rather you not, eyes up, like head up, head on a swivel. How do you become the kind of person who can hear, who can stay, and listen even when you're wrong? David begins Psalm 51 with a statement that assumes and depicts a certain posture. And I think it's critical uh, to staying soft and listening in that David begins Psalm 51 with, Lord, have mercy on me. Right? Like if you, were to, if you were to imagine the posture of someone saying, have mercy on me, this is like eyes up to the one who has power, recognizing their position of being underneath something or someone, eyes up saying, have mercy on me. This is, there, there is like, for, to be able to say that, and, and we sing a song all the time at Awaken. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up. To the hills, from where does my help come? It comes from you, Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Which is to say, I recognize my place in this world. Like, I am not divine. I am not the ultimate authority. I am not the one. uh, No, eyes up. I lift my eyes up. Where does my help? It comes from you. David begins, have mercy on me. How do you become the kind of person that can stay and listen even when when you're wrong? You have a posture and a recognition that, like, as much as important as you are, and I want to preserve that, I don't want to denigrate that, I don't want to sweep that under the rug, you might not always know what's best. Can anybody, like, attest to that in their own life that you didn't know what was best? Yeah. It's okay that we say that. It's okay, I think that's true about what it means to be human. And I don't think that denigrates the personhood or says, like, you're worthless, you're a worm. Like, no. It means I don't always know what's best. So eyes up. Lord, have mercy on me. Where does my help? It comes from you. I need you. That's how you become that kind of person. Because you recognize that you don't always have it together. You don't always make the right choice. So eyes up. We also see in Psalm 51 a longing and a desire for God's presence. If you go to verse 10, he says, and this is a great campfire one, right? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Can we get the round going? Create in me a clean heart. Just kidding. But David prays this, right? He says, God, give me a clean heart. You can see a desire and a longing that he has for God to do something in him that he's unable to do on his own. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your spirit from me, but like restore to me the joy of knowing you. How do we become and stay the kind of person who can listen even when we're wrong? I think we recognize or we, we cultivate in us a longing and a desire for God's presence. One of my friends, Tim Mackey, he always used to say, uh, and I love how uncomplicated this is, when it comes to God, we get what we want. Listen, if you spend your whole life denying and evading and objecting to God's presence, and we make clear that we don't want to be near God, if God is love, love is choice, and so God honors our choice. 
If we spend our days longing for, desiring, making known our desire to know and experience God's presence, I think God honors our choice. God honors our desire. God honors our longing. So a question for you this morning. Can you say with like integrity, I I desire to experience the presence of God. I desire, I long for God's nearness to give me, to create in me a clean heart. So we have David with friends who can say hard things. We have eyes up, a desire and a longing for God. And lastly, I would say humility. David knows something about God, and we see it as the psalm comes to a close in verse 17. He says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. What's he saying? I know enough about you, God, to know that a humble heart, a humble posture, you won't turn away. Think about all the scriptures that like warn you and invite you away from pride and arrogance and folly and the destruction that comes from it. It is all over the Psalms. It's all over the Proverbs. Oh. (laughs) It is all, like think about Mary's song in Luke's gospel. It's all about the arrogant being brought down and and the humble being lifted. This is the way of the kingdom. I don't think... I don't think in 25 years of being a pastor, I'm becoming more and more convinced that one of the keys to the kingdom, understanding what Jesus talks about when he says the kingdom of God, humility is one of the keys. Cultivating a spirit of humility. And humility is like, if, if, I, think, if I think I'm better than you or smarter than you or further along than you or more mature than you or holier than you, then why would I listen to you? But if I recognize that humility is this open hands posture to my life, to my work, to my relationships, to my pursuit of God, it's the recognition that my perspective is always limited by my experience. It's acknowledgement that there is always more that I can learn. It's a cultivation of curiosity and a resistance towards ju- of judgment, right? To be the one who declares. How do you become the kind of person who can listen who can stay present even when hard things are said, when you are in the wrong. I would would offer by developing trusted friends who can say the hard thing, by cultivating this move right here, eyes up. You are not the one looking down on the world, on your own life. You You are in a particular order in the universe, and it would do you well to recognize that, eyes up. Desire, longing for, saying out loud, God, I want this, and cultivating a spirit of humility. As we move into a time of silence this morning, as I wrap this up, I want to invite you in just a moment. We're going to, Hallie will lead us in this Lenten song that we'll hear week in and week out. Um, It's called Listening. Um, Maybe a moment of pause for us this morning. I don't know how this finds you today, but there have been moments in my life when someone could have said, as the prophet Nathan said to David, you are the the man, and it would have been true. Can you sit? Can you stay present? Can you be here in the presence of God and, and maybe here? Is there... Is this a moment when the the gentle voice of the Spirit says, hey, hey, 
Eyes up, over here, this way. Traditionally, in the, tra- in, 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 in the church tradition, this is called confession. When we recognize and we, we, we come to terms with our own, our own mess, uh, the, the choices that we've made that served ourselves instead of our neighbor, and we're honest about them. And the word repent in Hebrew is the word turn around, shuv. So there is a moment that happens in our lives, and it happens often if you do this long enough, hopefully daily, <laughs> where we pause and we say, I repent. I, I want to turn, I want to go in this direction, not that direction. Can we cultivate and become the kinds of people who don't run when we hear that? who aren't afraid of that, where our belonging is never questioned, right? But, but we recognize that someone who loves us is inviting us to a more life-giving path. Can you trust that that's true? That that's what God is like? And in that moment, can you give yourself to that divine leading and say, okay, I want to go that way. So let me offer a word of prayer and then a moment of silence. God, as we take a moment this morning and we hear David, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing compassion and and mercy and your faithfulness, God, create in me a clean heart because I know enough about you that a humble, broken, contrite heart, you won't turn away. So Holy Spirit, do whatever work you need to do in us Turn on whatever lights we've turned off and remind us that we are loved, that we belong, and that we are invited to a path that is life-giving. So may we have the courage to follow it. I once heard somebody talk about an earworm. You guys know what that is? Like a song that just gets in your head and you kind of can't get rid of it. I hope that is an earworm that you just cannot stop hearing. Like, what, what, uh, Eric, can you put the line up? Every day a new, a resurrection. Each day a resurrection waiting to break through. You are new. You are new. Resurrection is something that we celebrate on Easter. It's a moment that we come back to. And it is at the same time, Something available to you every day, every moment, like a resurrection waiting to break through. You are new every morning. So I hope you you leave today encouraged, lifted up, reminded, um, and sent on your way to be good news in the world. Um, May we become these kinds of people who can stay in those moments and maybe hear the hard things so that we become new. We're changed, transformed, made more into the image of Jesus. Amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church gathered together said, amen, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.